Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. You know today's guest from his channel, Gaming with Edo. You know him as the founder of Pencil First Games, and you know him from hit games like Skulk Hollow, Herbaceous, and numerous other releases. Welcome to the show, Ed Bariff. Hello. How are you doing today, man? You got a lot of projects on the horizon. You got a lot of fingers in many, many different pies. You are producing videos like a madman. I feel like I'm talking to the man, the myth, the legend himself, who's on the face of every single Kickstarter project, whether you're involved in that project or not. I, uh, thank you for saying so. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm, I, I sort of feel like my videos aren't aren't as in favor anymore. But I do make a lot of content, a lot of products, and and have a family and a job. So I'm I'm a busy guy. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's because it's you know it's what I enjoy. So this is my having fun stuff. Well, I know your history involves video game development, and then you are, of course, a game designer, a game publisher, and a content creator. I, I kind of resent the term content creator to some degree, but I've settled with it. You know, it, it's the modern lingo. You're a reviewer, a critic, but how do you really view yourself as your like primary role within board games? It's a good question. I mean, ultimately, I think... And I've had to settle on this in in video games and and things over the year, but over the years. But I I, I consider myself a game maker, right? So mm -hmm. um, I'm all of the projects that we do at Pencil First Games are games that uh, I'm involved with. Some of which are my designs, some of which are other designs. Sometimes I'm a heavy development doing heavy development. Like there's a really broad range of things. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, for me, it's all about producing, making, and 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 creating this game that then is shared and people get to play. Um, I don't, you know, you mentioned content creator, like videos for me, creating video content is an opportunity to share and contribute to the community, but also an opportunity for me to, um, create stuff that doesn't require anyone else. So like yeah, whether, yeah. when you're making a board game, you have to work with other people when you're working at a board video game company, you got to work with, you know, deal with other people, even family or whatever. But like. When I make a video, I mean, I'm, I'm working with you right now, but like generally speaking, if I'm right. uh, you know, reviewing a game or doing something about um, the industry, I just can turn the camera on and do it. And which in a, it, it's sort of what I imagine somebody who writes a lot might experience. Um, but it's everything else requires me to end happily work with <laughs> other people. Right. But, yeah. you know, it is it is nice to have an out, a creative outlet that doesn't require that. Um, and I definitely in, enjoy contributing, but no, I mean, I don't consider, I, I don't actually view myself as a, like, technically I certainly am a content creator, but like, I don't, I, I don't aspire to, to, I don't have not, I don't have any video YouTube channel aspirations. Um, I have, um, just opportunities to do things, some fun ideas I've, I've wanted to do, but not, not anything where like, that's not my path. My path is just making games. Yeah, well, making games, participating, highlighting, and right. giving a platform for you know other people. I know that you frequently do reviews for you know like younger Kickstarter creators, you know smaller companies as well. Certainly, you do reviews on big games, but it, it seems like you dedicate a lot of your time to putting a, a highlight on some of these maybe lesser known projects. Is that intentional or was that a, an act of convenience, a niche that you saw needed to be filled? I feel like I get those more. I mean, that's sort of when I said I'm out of favor. Like I used to get more of the bigger campaigns. Sure. I don't, uh, you know, uh, I, I think to some degree, so I don't charge, right? And mm -hmm. so by not charging, um, I, I'm not bound in any way to a, you know, a, a, a preview of one nature or another. Right. And I'm not so so oftentimes um, I mean, I, I like games. So like a lot of my stuff is positive in general, but it's not always, always positive. And sometimes right. I can critical of, of a prototype or a rule book or a, a gameplay. But I don't know, like it's hard to say I, I, I because you know, I guess it comes down to how many prototypes you have, but my, the process is really easy. You send me an email and they'll usually, I get all sorts of it, but I say, Hey, send me pictures of the game, send me your rules. Um, 
tell me your um your timeline. And now I'll often ask like, is this your first campaign or not? And that's more just to like not get into some bucket where you're like reviewing a game from somebody who hasn't fulfilled like the last three games. But um and I'll say send me that information. And then really if it's a game that I think I'm interested in playing, you know, I'm I'm happy to do it. I enjoy doing the smaller games. Uh, it's 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 a really great opportunity to continue to like look at and and play like what's new and, and up and coming. I mean, I just did the stuck at home game design contest and that was like filled with like, you know, early first time design. So I don't I don't mind that stuff and I enjoy it. But I, I don't I don't advertise only the little guys. Right. Like. Right. So I, I don't I don't I don't know. It does tend to be what I get like. Uh, I reviewed, I have a preview, which may or may not be on their page, we'll find out, of Flamecraft, <laughs> which is the new game uh, coming out from Cardboard Alchemy, which, like, I consider to be, like, a mega campaign, right? Like, it's sure. not Simon, but it's gonna, like, I think it's gonna be a mega campaign, and I, it's a great game. I had some critiques also, so we'll see where they land me on the page, but that that's probably the biggest one in a while. Like, I feel like, again, uh, when I, the Kickstarter stuff is pretty small but my videos you know um don't have huge track like i'm not a uh uh what are the what what's the other word uh, uh um a trendsetter not trendsetter uh, uh, taste a maker. taste maker i'm not yeah i'm not a taste maker in any way whatsoever so um so it's it's always interesting to me i think it's really fascinating that that you mentioned that you don't accept money and you also you really like games you have criticism of games that that doesn't mean that you're a shill uh, but, you know, you tend to like games. And I find myself in the same position. We do a lot of reviews on this channel. And um, people tend to misunderstand the relationship that you have to games and to content and to creators and that kind of stuff. I don't charge for doing preview content or anything. I, I give my genuine opinion on games. But, one, I'm in this because I like games. And, two... I generally don't agree to do a project on a game that I can already kind of suss out that I'm not going to like it. You know, like why, why would I want to accept a project where I'm just going to shit over someone's creativity? Right. And then people get suspicious. Oh, like, or, you know, everything that you do is positive or, you know, like you, you're just accepting money in order to, uh, you know, fluff this game for a Kickstarter or something. Uh, people are really, suspicious it, it's a hard balance but i i do think there but uh, uh in some ways it's the importance of knowing um what's the what's the term i'm looking for when when people are um they're um uh uh, uh bias right? right so like for example here's a great example uh at some point, this is what happens. At some point, I got on, like, Stronghold Games reviewer list. I don't know. Like, somebody uh -huh. put my name in or whatever. And so they were sending games, like, um, they have, like, Bravo, a bunch of little small dice games, easy to play, right? And, like, and sure. that's fun, and I'm, I, I do that content, right? But, like, they sent me these two games together recently, which is, like, pretty awesome, right? But they sent uh -huh. me Isle, I, Islands in the Mist and Stronghold Undead. So, one... I, I tend to like not ha have that many ga like t games groups, especially now. It was it was a lot easier before all the COVID stuff. But like I to sit down and like teach a game and play a sixty minute game, like we just tend to do lighter stuff. Um, let alone two of them at the, like in the same thing. Like, you know, sure, it's gonna be sure, hard sure. enough to get one of these to the table. And then like I like have zero interest in this game. Game it might might be great, but like I just have <laughs> nothing about this. Like, mm -hmm. I look at it, and I look... I don't want to be critical, but, like, oh, generic undead fantasy? Like, whatever. Totally. Um, I mean, Wildlands was interesting because it was sort of different. and then, But, like, this is, like... I don't know. Maybe... The, again, maybe the game's great, right? I'm not saying it's the game's that great. But, so, I wrote them, and I'm like, look, I'll probably play this other what game. I'm not playing this one. So, like, you want me to send it back to you? You want me to give it away? Like, I don't care. But, like... So, so thus, I've already optimize out a title that like i'm pretty sure i'm not going to enjoy a play so that review isn't like oh i opened this game it was generic it was blah 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 really the, the just the review never happens right because totally. again uh you know i i'm not trying to review everything and really i'm just sharing what my what i thought about a game i played um and so and, and i think better 
I think publishers are also getting better, even if even for unpaid stuff. And which I mean, I don't want to get into that whole debate, but like uh, the, the <laughs> but but just generally, I think like as a publisher, like okay, let's talk about being pencil first games. Mm-hmm. Like I know reviewers who over time have enjoyed our games, mm-hmm. whether you know just because they like light, family friendly, like breezy, beautiful games. Like I think everyone should enjoy our games, but not every. But like you know, so like I know pretty sure that if i take this game and i send it off to this person and i send them a copy which i often do they're probably going to review it because it's easy to pick up and play and they're probably going to like it because they like the other things right so like but i don't necessarily just say oh hey there's this other war gamer guy who like only does <laughs> war game stuff i should send him a copy of herbaceous because i think i'm going to break the mold with that i just don't send him a copy and it's not it's not it's just like why would i send a game to the war game now sometimes I don't remember. There was a guy. He was like wargaming.net, but he wanted to play the the siblings trouble, mm-hmm. and which is like a, a a game I designed a long time ago. That's a story driven, a card card driven storytelling game. Anyway, it was like totally not on on brand, but he requested it, and I was like, all right, and he liked it. Did a good review, but so, um, you know, I, I think some of that does. That's why you should just know your reviewer, right? Like find somebody you like and enjoy and are aligned with, and you like like that person has my tastes. That's a great person to recommend a game from too, right? Like, well, so. for full transparency, I mean, the the point of contact that was made with your company and how I got linked with you is that I reached out for a review copy of Skull Callo and also said, "Hey, we have this long-standing interview podcast. I would love to." talk to someone over there but as part of me a reviewer requesting a review copy of a game which happens pretty often i mean at this point we're certainly not a huge channel but we're definitely not a tiny channel um i do a lot of review requests and usually if it's the first time that i've ever worked with a publisher i'm sending them examples of reviews for games in that vein you know like something that that's in there and also explaining why i think it would be a good match for the channel because there are thousands of reviewers out there and you want it to be something where the the publisher is incentivized to have you review it not just because of the platform and getting views of course that's really important but you also want the publisher to feel like well, this isn't someone who's just looking to make a hot take on my game and trash it. Uh, so, you know, like, uh, I, I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes, uh, especially in this young hobby, um, comparatively young hobby, and uh, the kind of informal development of, um, like, media and content creation and press and that kind of stuff that has kind of homegrown around it. Well, and I, I don't think people often think about the the like content isn't created equal and uh not all games drive the same attention as all other games Mm. and so another part of it is like i my channel my stuff again because this is like of the like six stack of things i have in my life this is like one of the lower rungs um or higher however you want to think about it but um (laughs) um even I, I don't I don't do any B roll. I don't do any I do I do single takes, first takes. I don't prep notes. I I really like I'm just like as and and even that with a game is gonna take me, you know, two three depending on the game two three four hours. How many times I'm gonna play five six hours on the game? Then like finding the time to do the video and sitting down. I usually clump them together, but like you're already talking about like a six or an eight hour effort, right? And then. Um, and that's like, to some degree, doesn't matter what the game, like the game, the cost of, unless it's like a super small game, the cost to create the content is the same. I have to play it. I have to like get opinions. I have to think about it. And then I have to do the video and put it together. And mine is like as low as it gets pretty much other than like, Hey, I bought this game. Here's that, what the box looks like. And unboxing is a lot easier. But anyway, my point is, and then, and then you release it. And like, again, I don't particularly like get caught up on like, this is a 13, view video versus a hundred or 300 view video or a thousand view video. That's, mm-hmm. that's about where I cap out by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but, but like for sure, if I go out of my way to get a game that just came out, that's a big release and I do it versus like some random, like, so, uh, where is it? I don't know where it is. 
I backed a Kickstarter for a game called Familiar Alchemy. It was like a small Kickstarter. I, I, something about it caught my eye. But no one, that video is going to have 30, 40, 50 views total forever. Right? right because right. It's, it, it, it's a game. It, no, I don't want to be offensive to the game, but it's just not, not a game that a big is not a big splash, big market game. It's like a mm-hmm. niche, niche, niche thing. And, and so, um, so like that content on your channel is actually, it's not growth content. It's, 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 it's at best filler, but at worst actually blocking you from doing con- better content that's going to grow your channel differently. Totally. So like how you think about your content and your channel is pretty significant and just releasing stuff to release stuff isn't a big deal. And if you release stuff that's different, there's no rhyme or reason to my content really. Oh, uh, you start getting it, but there's like, this company, Stronghold Games, sends me stuff. So I review Stronghold Games stuff because they're sending me stuff. Like, like, or there's a game I purchase, I picked, um, and I play, like, Calico. AEG doesn't send me their stuff, but I went and bought Calico, right? Totally. Um, but so, because, and then there's this weird little preview for, like, smaller Kickstarters or whatever. If you're a viewer, you're like, oh, Ed is always going to show me this, this, and this. You don't have that, right? Or So my channel doesn't have a really strong through line like you would want if you were intending to grow and build your audience right and so that's also part of this whole bias isn't the right word but it's sort of like selection bias right it's like why you're picking things that you think will be popular be responsive things that you enjoy all of which turns into generally a lot of positive feedback when you review things unless you're like your channel's all about games you don't like well you're eduardo i'm eddie so we can have like a joint channel, Ed and Ed Trash Games, and we're going sure. to start going in the opposite direction. We're going to request or seek out only of the games that we don't like, and we're going to just talk smack. That sounds like a project. I, I, I would I would do that, except the way I would want to do it would just be to talk smack about games without playing them, like explicitly. Uh, yeah, there we go. I love like, it. We're not going to actually play this game. There's no basis to it other than what it looks like, what it feels like. Look at the rules on page 14. Like, who is going to read this? I didn't read it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but it, when it comes to, like, I don't have time to play things I don't want to play. Is this, yeah. you know, like, so, so, but that's why I appreciate channels like the Dice Tower because of the, they, they have a reasonable commitment to get through a large body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, I don't necessarily do that. So let's talk about the higher rung or the lower rung, depending on what perspective we were going back to in that metaphor. So what was the original genesis? You know, the the moment in which you were like, I want to make games. I don't care if it was video games or board games. Oh, the, sure. The original inspiration that got you into making things for other people to play. Yeah, this is that's a it's a it's a good question, and I actually know the answer to it, because uh, it was it was it was a uh, uh, large impact on my life. So I I certainly grew up playing games. Um, I loved you know, um, I was a big Nintendo kid, but also gen- over time I was the kid that had all the different consoles and was importing games from Japan and like you know like I I played a lot a lot of console games. You got your Mario three in the background. Yeah, sure. Oh yeah, I got lots of stuff. But again, all all in on games. But actually, growing up. Um, didn't really like occur to me that you could be making games. I mean, obviously people do make games, but it just wasn't like, I didn't say like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to make games. It was like, I really enjoyed consuming games. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I went to the university of Michigan and heading in there, I was sort of like, Oh, Hey, like they send you this thing. It was like the synergy guide. And it's like a, all the, all the, the things on campus. And I got there and I was like, Oh, there must be a video game thing. And, um, looking around, there was just the Dr. Mario club. And the Dr. Mario Club was people who got together and played Dr. Mario, which I thought was hilarious, but not of interest to me. And so I was I was in college my freshman year and I, you know, was in some class talking to whoever my friends were at the time. And oh, Mike, this was talking to Mike. But I was like, you know, lamenting the non-existent uh, board uh, video game thing, not board games, but video games. And he's like, you know, you can just like. He was very like, well, you, you just need five peep, five signatures. You can start a club. Like, why are you complaining that there's no club when they like make it super easy for you to make a club? Uh, and I was like, touche. Um, no, but I, so I um, so I, I went, I got five sigs, uh, and I started a, com- a company, a, cl- a club organization called Wolverine Soft. And at the time, it was like for the development, research, and playing of games. And like out of the bat, we weren't really 
making it so much as like playing it and setting up tournaments. Um, but then over time, we started trying to make games. And 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 by my senior year, I did uh, lead a game called Crisis Wolverine Insurrection Green, which was all about the University of Michigan versus Michigan State trying to take it over. And it was like <laughs> an it was like an RPG, but where the, the different character classes were like you know, jock, druggy, you know, like stereotype character classes, mm-hmm. yeah. like black mage and all that. And then, um, and then what we did was we used RPG maker, but took photos of campus. It's pretty cool. Like today it's still pretty cool. But the, but anyway, so that, that got me into sort of more proactively making games. And it's a, actually quite a source of pride that Wolverine soft still exists today at the, at the university of Michigan making games, which is super That's cool. so cool. Yeah. Um, but so from there, um, I was also studying Japanese because I wanted to be able to buy a game from Japan and play it without without uh, having to, you know, struggle my way through it. Um, and then I was uh, got, got into the JET program, which is a um, uh, like teach English in Japan program. Mm-hmm. But my friend, somebody who was like a roommate, but he wasn't a roommate, but he was like in our in our place constantly um, was like, why are you going to go to Japan why don't we start a video game company instead? And I was like, well, we don't even have a game idea, blah, 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 blah. And, and he was like, I was like, okay, I have to tell them my answer in like six days. So you have six days to convince me to not take this opportunity. Cause like jets actually, it's more than just like, like you, it's got a stipend. It's a pay job. It was like, a, it was like the beginning of a, I don't know about a career path, but it was like something after college. It was a big deal. It's something you can rely on. Yeah, which otherwise I didn't have because I didn't have a major other than Japanese. So, um, so and, and I did anyway. So, what ends up happening is he like it takes him about an hour to convince me. Um, we start making a Game Boy Advance game because he had a game like really like there such a hopeless path. Like today, you just make a mobile game and release it to market and see what happens. But this was mm-hmm. just like, but started TheorySoft um, and making uh, this game. Um, Dark Alloy for for those history buffs out there, um, all of which went nowhere. Uh, it sort of had to close it out, which was like a you know an interesting and important step for me. And then ultimately, I went into QA for Atari. I was able to get that job and went QA to design to production and studio running studios and things like that. So, um, but it it all sort of started started there for sure. And then at some point you transition from making video games into board games. And I saw looking through your history, your first board game design, at least that I could find on BGG uh, that was successfully published, wasn't published through Pencil First Games. And then shortly after Pencil First comes into the picture. So what, what's the story there? Uh, well, one of, one part of that story, you're t- so, okay, so you're talking about Murder of Crows and Murder of Crows, uh, the part of that story is that that game was in development for seven years, which isn't really clear there. But so what happens <laughs> is uh, I Atari, then I work at a company called Mind Control Software. At Mind Control Software, I, I move up the ladder and end up actually become the studio head there. And at the time, the art director at Mind Control Software was a guy by the name of Thomas Denmark. Thomas Denmark um, is a fabulous artist, but also created Dungeoneer, which is a really, uh, it's a little dated now, but it was a very successful card adventure game, like sort of, you know, dungeon crawl card game. And um, he was working with Atlas Games, who's the publisher, and he was working on a game called Murder of Crows, uh, which he was struggling with and and essentially like asked me if I wanted to, you know, design it with him, co-design it. And I said, sure. I mean, like, whatever. A little weird. I think we were still working together, but it was like a card game, right? Um, And so we started working on it. Um, I helped with sort of giving a structure to the wordplay that's in that game. Um, and then, and then we had the game together and he just had to do like 60 pieces of art, which would subsequently take him seven years to do, but he did eventually finish it. And I, and I, Murder of Crows is a great, great game. I should have a, just for those, for those curious what it is. This was the first edition of Murder of Crows. This is a small game, right? First edition of Murder of Crows. And then they made it seven years of development for that tiny package. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, he wasn't getting paid until afterwards. Right. Like, but, um. But, you know, they've since um, done a uh, second tin, and I still get royalties on Murder. I, you know, I still get 100 bucks a quarter on Murder of Crows. Hey, that ain't nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, but so so that was happening. And then, like, so basically we did that and then didn't re- totally stopped because, like, it was just waiting on him to do art. And my job was, like, once a month to be like, hey, did you finish anything? And he'd be like, ah, oh, here's one new character. And, like, all right. So, like, it was literally – it was seven years of, like, of me prodding for, for – but <laughs> – 
I, I ended up working at a number of technology uh, and gaming, and then I was working at a company called um, uh, Blue Fang Games, maker of the Zoo Tycoon series, which, another long story, but after a long thing, we were working with another company that went bankrupt that stiffed us half a million dollars, and um, the company went under, unfortunately. Um, and at the time, we had a lot of online games. We had um, Zoo Kingdom, Oregon Trail, and Carmen San Diego. Um, amongst other things, and they all like effectively get shut down, right? And it was, you know, over time as you make video games, as it's moved to these mobile online server-based live games, um, they they disappear, right? Like they're they're unplayable. And actually, once you leave console, you can't. If you made a mobile game five years ago, you can't play it on any device. You can't launch it. You can't load it. You can't totally. It. So. You 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 create these these things that completely disappear, um, it, you know, not, not in people's memories, but are become unplayable again. And at the time, I just was really the appeal of the idea of making a board game that could, you know, be published or not. But like if, if you make a prototype, you make this game, you have it on your shelf. It can be there. It doesn't it doesn't require technology to run, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, was was something that I was excited about because like I had just had to lay off 50 people and I had like, I'm like literally going through and like closing a, a company. Uh, and, and with not, and, and the result of which is a bunch of memories, right. <laughs> but not, a, but like things that are no longer that just get shut off. Right. And so, um, so started a liftoff and actually that time submitted a liftoff to publishers. It wasn't Kickstarters. Queen games was looking at it for a long time, but I had made like three prototypes they had one for a year and then another, then they said no. And then like it took another year to get it back. Um, but so it was sort of on hi hiatus. And, and so uh, I then get a job at a company called Snapstick, which got acquired, but then I was working at Disney um, uh, and in mobile games and online games. And two things happened at the same time, roughly around whatever period, 2011, 12, 13, something like that is one, Finally, Thomas finishes the Murder of Crows art. Finally, uh, he gets it to Atlas Games, and then they publish Murder of Crows. So that sort of happens. Uh, and then two, and that was before, that happened before Liftoff. And then two, guy by the name of Aldo, Aldo Giozzi, uh, me butchering the last name, uh, he runs Impressions, which has now been acquired by Flat River, but he's like very in the board game space, and he's basically a consolidator. But I meet him through Thomas at like Pacificons and things like that. And then there's a gaming group with Richard Bliss and like his garage. And, uh, you know, we're like there playing and having game night till Fristo's there. And um, Emily was like, you should bring Liftoff because I have this thing that I can just pull off a shelf and bring with me and it will just work wherever I take it. I don't, it doesn't require a device. It doesn't require. And so, you know, and I, I'm not a huge fan of like, not a fan. I'm like, but like if I'm not testing something, if I don't have a reason, I don't you like for the games that I've printed, unless like Emily asked me to bring it, I don't like go to a table and be like, hey, let's play this game. That's the game I made. Like it seems weird to me. Um, but anyway, so I brought it, which and, and we had a really nice handcrafted wood carving Masonite board game for liftoff. Like I still have the two originals. They're like fantastically sturdy. Um and we played it and people had a good time. And Aldo's like, like, why aren't you doing a Kickstarter? And I was like, what's Kickstarter? Or isn't Kickstarter just umbrellas or like whatever? And so Tia was like, yeah, I just did one for whatever thing I just did. Um, and, and then, yeah, we did the Kickstarter. Went from there. How much of a through line do you see from like the, your childhood days of being the kid who has all the consoles and plays all the games and has a fascination with Japanese made video games, presumably American made as well. But, you know, at your heart, you were the kid who wanted to be able to import games and everything to the kind of core aesthetic and identity of the games that you're putting out with Pencil First now. I mean, I know that when Skullcallo first came across my computer and I saw it, you know, even without knowing the mechanics of the game, like something about it felt like, oh, I th there's hints of colors and and schemes of mystical ninja and Chrono Trigger in here. You know, just it felt like this was a Super Nintendo game come to life sure, in sure, sure. in 
a board game form. And is that like a, a conscious thing? Yeah. Uh, well, it's an interesting question. I think the so so as a as a, as a kid, I played lots of games um, for sure, and. I, I consumed games as fast as I could keep them and acquire them. And one of the interesting things with, about me, which I didn't go into, is I started all these businesses to make money as a kid. Like I had a, a, a house cleaning business. I had uh, a catering business. I did yard work, uh, like shoveling in the snow. I, I'm from New York originally. And so like I was generating as much money as possible for the sole purpose of buying video games. And so I, like I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So and, and I was a completionist in that regard. And so um, I was playing everything and I didn't there really wasn't a bar in terms of like not, not play. I mean, I'm sure there was a couple, but like generally, like if it came out, I'd play it uh, if I could. And I was also really big into magic. We were talking about the two cards behind you. Um so like for sure there's a love of games, but actually like if you were to like, if, if I went through and I described to you all the dream games I wanted to make when I was a kid that like drew, drove me, most of them are going to align more like to what I just described as something I have zero interest in anymore, which is like, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a fail. I'm trying to think of a way to describe it, but like just like standard, you know. You wanted to make Hexen. Hexen, yeah, like just like violent or or, or, or like power power fantasy, adventure fantasy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a game, you know, like whether it was Zelda or Metroid or Doom or like any of those games, right? It was all like that. Sure. That a game that you'd be like, this game would be awesome. Like, the, the, <laughs> not not this game would be fun. Not the game. This game would be pretty. But like, this game is awesome. And then at Atari, I guess Atari was an interesting job because. Atari QA was was un, not unique, but like it, it's a publishing like monster. It was actually GT Interactive acquired, um, you know, uh, uh, Atari. So we had all the Atari games that we tested there. We had like so everything from Driver uh, was in that loop to to Unreal Tournament. I worked, uh, I QA'd on site at, at uh, Epic for Unreal Tournament. We had Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Sid Meier's Pirates. So. I worked on site at Firaxis. Um, not not as anyone important, but like there. And so sure, like sure. Atari, I played the Dora the Explorer game, Trivial Pursuit, nonstop. I mean, like, so the the range of product that was like even beyond what like my normal range would be. Like, and um, you know, it's just so much game content. And I think at some point you 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 dive into like what's fun. I'm trying to I'm trying to like I know when I sort of gravitated towards visceral fun in games and just enjoying it and mind control software was about iteration and finding the fun and just creating fun dynamics and 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 aesthetics in games. But I'm trying to think of like when it was when I at some point maybe it was Blue Fang Games moving into Disney where like like right now I work uh, for Apple Oven Machine Zone, uh, and I worked on Game of War and Mobile Strike, which are like not not games that like out of the, the cuff I'd be like, yeah, I like I want to play a military 4x, you know, world map control game, right? Like it's just not where I would normally do it. So so some of that challenge is like really understanding the players and the audience. Um, but I think like I've moved towards. I just I don't mind. I like color. I like fun. I think it's Nintendo. I think if anything, I would say. The strongest influence for me from a game perspective at a young age was everything Nintendo. So I think that's probably, if anything, set the bar on like things can be cool, like Metroid, be, you know, adventure like Zelda, but also like colorful like Mario and like, you know. But like I love Shadow of the Colossus, right? Well, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, you managed to do all that, but also you still have that kind of badass type of game just awesome you know something that's like you know the the visceral feeling of quake except translated via you know mario or something like that 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 vibrance and color but that's a great example of tension and losing tension in that like so uh the artist on skull call was dustin faust met dustin at disney uh, fantastic artist and like you know there's a really heavy secret of nymph like a nim um you know, sort of uh, classic Disney look to it. And Keith Mateka, who um, designed, so 
Skull Call is its own little story. I started with an idea and then Keith made it into a proper game. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he he is the whole role player fa- franchise on his side. Yeah. And role player, you know, is much more true fantasy art and look and illustrations. Right. Mm. And basically, Keith was like, why are we making this cartoony at all? Like this should be like Shadow of the Colossus is not a cartoony game. Right. And like this will just be better with like this should just be illustration and, and like and ultimately i frankly believe from a, a market perspective he's he's actually right like that game if actually given that kind of treatment would have been a bigger game um if that was the objective which it wasn't exactly um but like for me i just it, 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 I, I wanted to work with Dustin. I love his style. I love that kind of character. And 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 so the win though was Keith kept because like I, I could pull, I could try to find it. But like I would say early on, the the monsters, the guardians were more Disney. Like there are versions of them that look like bigger animals, but from the same from from more like the fox in space. So they're not as gritty. And Keith was just. <laughs> he just kept crapping all over it. And like, it was an interesting thing because he wasn't interacting directly with Dustin. So it was like a little bit of a, but like, he just kept saying like, I don't think this is cool enough. And he, he helped pull it so that like Grack and these guardians, they're, they're dangerous looking, they're mean looking. And I think it, it really helped the title overall, which some people feel is, is, is kitty or cartoony, but would have even been more so with the, with, had it been where we were originally. So I, I, I do think he helped us get to, this great mixture of like scary and cute. It's like a Miyazaki movie or something, you know, like you watch Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke. You got a lot of cute in there, but then you also have some terrifying imagery in it as well. Still cohesive within that aesthetic. Yeah. The idea of making a completely different art style to me would be like someone saying, yo, you know, this Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon sounds cool, but what if we made it kind of grim dark? Uh, and it, it would have just taken away all of the charm, but also I think it would have maybe destroyed the the beautiful contrast that that has. So maybe you're right. Maybe that would have been a, a bigger seller for for those who like. I mean, for the I mean, for those who it lands well with. Like, like so, like I, I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, like I, I there are people who think we should have done minis, right? And and I would I I want I want I I don't think of minis as a board game. I still think of minis as a, a war game. And that's not true anymore, but like I still it's that was just sort of where I was. Right. So one thing that I definitely want to hit on when I look at your catalog of games as a designer, uh, because we've talked quite a bit about like the development of your company, uh, but compared to a lot of designers, I see a lot of collaborative work, co-designs. Uh, And you even brought up at the very beginning of this interview that board games is something where you have to work with a multitude of people. And yeah, that's true. Even for people who have singular designs, you know, like, um, let's say Jamie Stegmeier designs tapestry, but at the same time, he's still working with Andrew Bosley on the artwork. He's working with the Automa factory, that kind of stuff, but he's still the sole designer why do you think you gravitate to so many collaborative projects? Uh, well, uh, I enjoy working with people, but but more more than that, I think okay, board game is a weird hobby space in some regards where things are smaller, right? But like making a video game, right? Uh, so I'm a generalist, and I've gotten as a generalist, I have. 20,000, 50,000, some absurd amount of hours getting to be really good. So actually as a generalist, like there are categories that I'm better than junior specialists at, but like I'm a generalist. And so my, everything I've ever made, maybe except for some videos, but everything I've ever made (laughs) is me working with specialists who like by definition are better than me. Like Mm -hmm. I don't sit here and be like that, that back end engineer or that you know that that you know that client you know this guy or, or that 3d modeler i could i could do that 3d i could do like or this or this you know we're we're making a game where we're gonna um you know be doing writing disney disney dialogue like i could do a better aerial than somebody who specializes in aerial dialogue or whatever like you just like this idea that 
you're better than anyone else at any given thing, I think is like, for me, everyone's better than me at everything because anyone who specializes in any certain thing is just going to be better at it. And that, you know, I, I, there may be areas where that isn't always true, but the, but the, but the, the heart of it is because I, I'm pretty aware of what I'm good at and, and, and what people are better at than me. I gravitate like to me, that's why I'm a game maker, right? Cause I, or a product lead or, or whatever. But like, for me, it's not, it's, it's, I want to make this and to make this skull call is a great example. I, I knew I wanted a one versus many big guardian small. I wanted to have lots of units going on there, but I wanted it to be simple, but I wanted to have a, a confrontations three by three grid board. I wanted that to be small and I wanted it head to head two players only. And I wanted there to be a guardian thing. And I wanted to take units from here and start climbing on it. Like, that dynamic and aesthetic was like crystal clear and I could find it somewhere, but I have all of the, I did all the original non-mechanical vision design. Right. Sure. Sure. But sure, then sure. like, but then my, I also want it to be fun. <laughs> like I also <laughs> want it. I also want it to like stand up to thousands of plays and I'm not as a good enough designer to do that. And so then I go looking for people. Herbaceous is another great example. I saw Beth's, she had reskinned Bonanza, and she made this incredible herb art, which was just a reskin on BGG, and she posted on Facebook, and I asked if that a game existed, and she said, well, it's a reskin of something. And I was like, somebody needs to like make this gorgeous herb game that's going to appeal to like elders, to like grandparents to play, and it should just be a beautiful solitaire game. And so I was like, I'm going to make a beautiful solitaire. Beth's interested, and I'm like struggling with it. And, and I, I, and like, I even was reading like solitaire books and it just wasn't, I, I wasn't landing and I had known Steve for a variety of reasons, but I asked him about it. And Steve was like, Steve Finn now, different designer. Steve Finn was like, well, I don't really do solo that much though. He has since done more solo. I don't do solo that much. So, uh, but I could do a two to four player game. And he sent me, I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm not getting anywhere. So like, I'm going to give up a little bit, but let's see what you do. And he sent me herbaceous, which what he sent me like two weeks later, is like two design choices, two numbers away from what was shipped. Um, and it's a fabulous game and it's just wonderful. And then actually the interesting thing, there's like, I was telling this exact story to Keith Mateka. This is before Skullcalo. First, I met this guy. He was showing off um, some like role player at Gen Con. And he's like, you know, I like solo games. I've done some solo designs. Maybe I could take a stab at it. And I was like, sure. And so he did solo for Herbaceous. Um, and I love his solo. But his solo is a play on Biblios, which is what Steve Finn did, which Herbaceous is like <laughs> Biblios dice. So so Keith did an homage to Biblios, which he loved on Herbaceous. Anyway, so um, that long story short, um, I enjoy the the manifestation of, of, of working on a game where it, 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 it's about the journey with the people you are making it. And it's about what you're trying to do. And it's about having a clear vision about what you want to do, but also being flexible to iterate and be like, this is a dead end, but there's all these other great things. Um, right now I'm working on a Hanafuda deck with Vincent Dutrait, which is, you know, going to be, it's like an art project. It's like, there's no avenue for this to be successful because if we want to do Han okay, so Hanafuda deck is what Nintendo used to make. This totally, is totally way back in the day, right? And it's a special type of card. Um, I can you can ask Nintendo or factories in Japan to make you a deck of this card, which will cost you ten to fourteen bucks a deck, like crazy. Um, and we looked for, for for cheaper ways of doing it, which we have, and still that's what these white ones are. It's like figuring out a way we could deliver it. But it's still going to be like five dollars for something that's literally like here, that is this big, right? The, the manufacturing cost on something like this is like the equivalent to like a mid-sized game, like a, a forty-dollar game, or depends on the game, I guess. But anyway, long, and but but it's but Vincent and I are having a good time doing it, and apparently it's Bruno Cathala's like favorite game. <laughs> and Vincent, Vincent and Bruno have worked together. That's perfect. So 
Bruno has looked at our stuff. And so I'm, you know, like getting into these discussions with Vincent where he's like, well, when Bruno plays, he plays with this rule. Cause this is like this ancient game with all these rule sets. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, but like, this is sort of based on the Nintendo one and the Nintendo rule set has this. And like, I'm like, I'm like sort of like having this sort of pseudo debate with like, not he, I, I don't want to overstate, but like this is like slightly back and forth with like top one to five best designer of all time. Like whatever, yeah, you yeah. whatever in your list. And, and so it, it making stuff leads you into all sorts of fun and unexpected places. Right. And that if you did everything by yourself, you would just still be doing everything by yourself. Well, I think the hallmark of great leadership is to be able to have that vision and then find people who can make that vision come true and then empower them to do it and listening to them and their expertise as they work alongside it. And as such, that is really the hallmark and through line of you as a game creator. When you identify right. yourself, you are Ed, the game creator. And this has been such a great opportunity to talk to you. It's a real honor to finally meet you. Uh, we've hovered sure. in a lot of the same circles. I've been watching your videos for ages, and it was a delight to learn more about your your background, your history, and the, the continued role that you have within board games. Where can people go to find out more about the projects you're working on? Sure, uh, and thank you for all the, the kind words. Uh, Pencilfirstgames.com uh, is got all of our stuff. You can look at the games. You can buy games. You can see digital versions. Uh, we have a promotion going on now for Herbaceous Pocket Edition, which is another fun, fun, fun little game. It's a small version of Herbaceous, which we were talking about. Um, and then, like, I'm at Ibarif. We have the Pencil First Games community page, uh, which you on Facebook. But you know, I'm pretty easy to to find and and reach out to. Um, Depending on the avenue you come in, you might meet Jessica as well, which I think is, is who you met the first time. But Jessica's awesome. Um, but yeah, no, it, this was this was a fun chat. Hopefully, you know, like it was. It, I didn't think we were going to be quite, going quite so far back into the Edo history, but uh, hopefully, it was interesting for folks. It was interesting to me, and I think if we are interested in the conversation, then the people who like what we do in these interviews are going to get the most out of it. There, there, there are other spaces. You can go to Board Game Design Lab or Breaking Into Board Games if you want the nitty-gritty or, you know, tell me about the new mechanics that are going to be in Mall Peak and I want to know the individual things about it. Which are which is going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, it's going to be awesome. I mean, a, a standalone sequel, I, I guess, let, let, let's leave it with a nugget here. Um, are you going to find a way of incorporating Solo into the system that you established with Skulk Hollow? Because I know that people love Solo games now more than ever, and I've even seen some fan attempts in order to create automas for Skulk Hollow. This is, is, a, is a, a, a great question, uh, and, and you know maybe not the best one to end on. But the, the answer to this is, Mall Peak is a standalone uh game that's going to be roughly the same weight as as mall peak or skull, skull hollow the super cool thing out of the gate is that it's all interchangeable so you can take the foxes versus the new guardians the bears versus the old old guardians and and it just blows up the amount of options we also were able to create a really great three to four player experience where you're you're doubling up two guardians versus both sides uh on the solo side we we actually spent a lot of time working on it and working through it and like to some degree the 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 automa experience uh, didn't wouldn't didn't feel good we and we tried a bunch and and maybe some somebody can make their own but like it just never never it, it, it skull hollow is is a a, a swinging game it, it it there is a little it, it isn't without its luck side of it and like it just it wasn't landing it wasn't feeling good so we ended up then trying to make a solo only guardian but suddenly we were like, well, why this, if this guardian's cool, shouldn't it be just a guardian? Um, and then, so we did, so there's two things. One, when we have the Mall Peak Kickstarter, which we're trying to figure out, uh, we've created a solo adventure that spans between the original game and the new game that gives you playable units for the game. So it's a cool solo experience for solo gamers and anyone else. It's not competing in Mall Peak as, you know, playing the guardians it's not like a solo automa um and 
And then we also have taken all, all those other ideas and we have them in a bucket for sort of like what would be a proper solo experience. But we look at that as it's more like what's how do you take these mechanics and things and create more of a. I think of it more of like a, a dungeon or a, um, uh, a gauntlet style like um, row where it just it's more about what a great soul experience would be. I, I have no interest in adding a, a not good soul experience. Right. And I think yet again, the, this speaks to you, uh, your integrity, the desire to have vision is like why shoehorn in something that's you know uh, subpar i won't say garbage but subpar um when it maybe compromises what you really wanted most out of the game in the first place you want to deliver that and uh, i i actually really applaud that you could maybe sell some more units if you just shoehorned in something that you know maybe it's not great but whatever people could be yeah and out, and, but... and and if if somebody does figure it, figure it out, that's great. Um, we somebody made a uh, legendary creatures is an older uh, game of ours, but somebody created a solo version of it um, and solo rule set, and then we brought in Christopher Ham, the original designer, to like work with them, and we now have a really nice solo version. Uh, and it, it's so nice, in fact, that it's not out yet because I said, hey. <laughs> gotta finish the multi stuff up but let's get the original let's get sebastian the graphic designer like i don't want to, like let's make a nice pdf that's like here like that like a really good not just like a, a a bgg post but like let's make something that people can download and feel like this is sanctioned right like because anyone can do anything i'm all for it, but this is like this we all think this is good like i've played it like this is good like let's definitely promote it um and pay the guy some and so um, that's in development, but I mean, I think that's, but I guess all I'm saying is I, I applaud people for, for trying and having fun and creating things other people can enjoy, like take the bits and make it happen. Um, you know, it just, it has to hit a certain level that we're happy with it for it to become canon, if you will. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you, Ed. I look forward to a chance to talk again. I'm looking forward to seeing that Kickstarter for Mole Peak. You can find all kinds of games related to ed at the links that'll be in the podcast description video description all of that once again thanks for coming on to the show man awesome thanks for having me it was a great time